I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. How reasonable is your relationship with God? Another tough question, okay? Think about it, answer to yourself. How reasonable is your relationship? And what I mean by that is if you were to present the case that you've been building to back up your belief in him, would others buy it? Are there good reasons? Do you have some good reasons for the way that you see things or do you just hope more than you know? It's a good question and we need to be aware because how we believe what we believe determines our credibility and our belief's integrity. And listen, I'm not trying to be challenging here, but come on, better reasons just make you a more reasonable person. Literally, by definition, that's how it works. And that's important for us especially because being reasonable makes you more trustworthy, which in turn makes you a more compelling witness. And I know this, I promise you this is true because in my BC days, it was those reasonable few, reasonable people that kept me on the hook and then ultimately reeled me in. All the way up here, that's, where, that's how it worked. So last week, when Bruce preached a whole sermon about Jesus' dad, Joseph, despite the extremely limited scripture about him, I loved the look that we took at the biblical reasoning that we can use to paint a better picture. Because it's a critical reminder that, well, one, deeper digging does get you to the gold, but also reading between the lines does not mean reading into them, okay? And that's a very important distinction to make. And besides, it's actually really fun, believe it or not. We have so much fun uncovering Scripture's hidden stories forensically in this way, building these solid deductions, finding this hidden stuff from information, not building flimsy conjectures from our imaginations. We use information, not imagination. And, you know, I, like a lot of you, am at this particular and peculiar church right here, largely because of that approach right there. And now, that does not mean condemnation of other congregations at all. That is not what I'm saying. I am not saying we're right and everybody else is wrong. No way. Only, all I'm saying is that those of us with a compulsive questioning disorder need a place to work out our faith according to our condition or disability. I don't know what you call it. I can't just like let things go. I need to know. And here at his place... We use Bible forensics, that's what we're calling, Bible forensics to grow our faith by building our case on the substance of things hoped for, by collecting the evidence of things not seen. And here's why, here's why we do that, because if our creator, God, our creator really wants a loving relationship like he says he does with any of us, he has to have made himself knowable. You can't love what you don't know, right? He has to have made himself knowable. And a deeper relationship with anyone at all always means listening 
and learning and adjusting our perspective to see their true self, right? More and more. So I want you to hear this and really trust it. God is an open book to anyone with an open mind. Okay, you can know him. It's designed that way. And he says he's a loving God too. And as a loving God, he must also be doing everything possible on his end to get us closer. Which means also God has open arms to anyone and everyone with an open heart. Okay, that's just, we can know that about him. Which means we can also know this. This is not so, not the good news. It's only when we consciously or subconsciously shut him out somewhere in our lives that our relationship stalls. That's what does it. And that also means that any missing pieces that we have in our understanding of him and his word all come from us closing off that communication. He's reaching. We're the ones stopping. But he wants to share it because he tells us whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant, is meant to be brought out into the open. After all, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter. Well, that's the glory of kings. And that's what I'm looking for. He is literally dying to share the total truth that makes sense of the entire universe. We just have to work to keep ourselves and his book open. All right, that's the trick. Emphasis on the word work. I know that's a tough one, right? A little trigger word there. But I'm not saying that we work for our salvation. We're not earning it. That's not how it's going. I'm just saying, if you pray for God to move a mountain, we'll plan on waking up next to a shovel. <laughs> Amen? Okay. You know, like he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, Somewhere along the way, people somehow got this idea that Christianity is some sort of a crutch or a convenience and that we believe because we're naive or uninformed and it's easy. And to be fair, again, in my BC days, I kind of leaned that way before I switched teams. But now that I'm here, what are you talking about? Has that been your experience? Well, has it? No. no, I don't think so. That's our goal, guys. There's nothing easy going on there. That's what we're shooting for. Easy sounds dreamy. Don't get me wrong. That sounds wonderful. But things were a lot easier before on the other side of the fence. But nothing in my life has called more into question, taken up more mental real estate, or inconvenienced me more than my walk with God. Because this is how it works. Our understanding of this whole place hinges on the amount of our life that we devote to knowing him. That's how it works. Which is why we are repeatedly throughout scripture told that the full relationship, the full understanding only comes when we love the Lord your God with how much? All. All. All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all 
your strength. If you want it all, you gotta give your all. That's it. And here's the interesting thing. God wrote his word in such a way that it tests the amount of heart, soul, strength, and mind that you're willing to give. Because yes, he absolutely could have written his word in such a way that it had no room for discussion, debate, or doubt. He's God. He can do that if he wants to. But he didn't. He didn't on purpose. Because you know what those those little difficulties do for us? They give you a look, a peek in the spiritual mirror. Because your understanding, how much you understand, provides you with a measure of the mental muscle that you're willing to give on a scale of none to all, right? And God's goal is to push us all in, right? That's what he's looking for there. So let's do what he says and let us examine our ways and test them according to his word. And then let us return to the Lord also according to his word, in his word, through his word. That's how we do it. That's where we have those conversations. That's how he engages us. That's how we grow. That's what we know. So let's talk Bible forensics here for a minute, okay? And don't you dare zone out and pretend that it's too brainy of a subject for you. This is where you love the Lord with all your mind. He built your mind. He built all our minds, and he knows what you're capable of, okay? So stay with me on this. This is, this is you loving the Lord here, okay? Bible forensics is just the term that we're using for digging past the uh, surface of Scripture by using our God-given reasoning to reconstruct the details and the stories that are not explicitly stated in Scripture. Because there's a lot between the lines that you can find. And it's really, really important because the Bible becomes a real problem for a lot of people when they realize that the stories are all chopped up and scattered around Scripture. Yet, it is because of this design that it is also an opportunity to spiritually stretch our mental muscles and express our obedient, trusting desire to better know the God that we claim to love more than anything in the whole world, right? It's perfect. We say, God, I love you so much. I'd do anything. And he says, well, can you just read some of my book? And I go, no, sorry. That's where I draw the line. That doesn't make any sense. This is your opportunity when it gets, when the going gets tough, right? This is where you can push past and say, I love you this much. I'm going to just dig deeper. I'm going to get in there. And there's tons of books that'll help you with this. I love, I love this approach so much. I'm just wired for it. I'm an engineer by genetics. And there's these books that can help you with this approach. Um, but I'll tell you what, like, I don't know if you've read any of these. We've got C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. That was foundational for so many of us. Lee Strobel, Timothy Keller. These are just wonderful things that really help you to open up your mind and flex that mental muscle. But, you know... When we're hunting for that one big unifying truth behind all those scattered clues in God's word, I tell you what, give me J. Warner Wallace, the ex-homicide detective who wrote this book here, The, the uh, Cold Case Christianity. Cold Case Christianity has got some great tips for godly gumshoes. So what I'm going to say right now, this is what I want to do. I want us to all put on our detective hats, okay? 
And we're gonna put our faith to the test by examining how we handle God's word, all right? So, first, here's your question. Do you wash your hands? Wash your hands. Before you enter his word, you better wash those hands. Search yourself and get ready to drop your background beliefs, your baggage, and your assumptions because I'll tell you this, regardless, regardless of your awareness, they are there. And, and they taint every single word that you've ever heard. And they can be small, they can go unnoticed forever, but they are there. You carry them around with everything that you hear and the way that you speak. So we must seek and destroy every expectation and agenda that we have if we wanna be open-minded when we open his book. You gotta do that first. And if you're, if you're like me and you think that you do, because I was like, yeah, sure, I, don't, I have no bias, I'm not bringing anything into it. Ask yourself this, how often do you pray a prayer like this one? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. Ouch, ooh, ouch. That first step is a doozy. Calling out our personal bias is a powerful but painful prayer because we are just riddled with them. We have so many and those biases make it impossible to discern God's voice from our agenda. We get them confused and that's where things get real muddy real fast. So we gotta scrub them off. We gotta scrub them off or we could compromise the Bible bits that we are collecting. And, and we're told as much too. This is why we're told in scripture, we're given this warning. It says, who, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Well, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, like the picture that we paint of our God before opening his book. That's not the real one. That's the one that we want. But after a good cleaning, a good look at yourself and that prayer and some cleaning, then it's time to collect the evidence. Okay, and as you read the Bible, remember to keep your eyes, ears, heart, and mind open to everything, everything, or you risk missing something. Because if you only look for something specific, you can overlook something substantial. This happens all the time. I was saying, one of my favorite things in uh, sermon meetings with Bruce, who's been doing this for how many years? 5,000, he says. 5,000 years. He's read the Bible just nonstop. He's, and I go, oh, he's so distant and far ahead of me. And we'll read something, and he'll go, that's never, it's not in the Bible. I've never seen that before in my life. And that is amazing that the Bible works that way because we can just look past something or, or miss its meaning if we're just looking for the stuff that we want and we, and we just pass right over the stuff that we need, that substantial stuff to build your faith on. So hold your horses while you're reading there and don't bring back your bias by just favoring your favorite parts and you're getting dirty again. You gotta lay them all on the table, which includes Leviticus. <laughs> you gotta put it all on the table, whether or not it seems helpful because we're told 
all scripture is God-breathed, right? And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it. Even those weird laws. The weird stuff in there. It's useful. And you know what? We did a great thing last week. I love that when you uh, kind of use this Bible reasoning and forensics to show we know Joe was poor because... Mary didn't have her little lamb, right? And we're told we only know that if we know the Levitical laws. And so that's how it works right there. Anyway, we got to, we got to, we just have to, we, we have to take all of it, put it all on the table, even if we don't know when it's going to present its purpose. Because it's just kind of like Pokemon, right? To be prepared for any battle, you got to catch them all, right? And if you're not familiar with Pokemon, all you need to know is that to be prepared for any battle, you got to catch them all. So now you know how the Bible and Pokemon works if you didn't before. Anyway, once you have collected all your scriptures, though, well, that right there, that's when you can start to develop deductions, all right? What what does all this scripture that you have really say, and what does it mean for you and how you live? Put your pieces together into these possible pictures, how they fit together, and then take a look at it. And honestly, what's really cool about this is they really do this step on their own because every person, place, story, and symbol in Scripture makes it clear where they fit. They're begging for you to put them in the right place if you're clear on the difference between deduction and conjecture. Okay, because remember this, to trust, to be able to really trust your own beliefs, they must be built on factual conclusions and not pleasant possibilities. And we really like to do the second one a lot, build it toward that pleasant possibility. From the foundation up, the case that you build for your faith must arrange all the evidence in a reasonable order. Have a reason for why you put it where you do. And until then, until you do that, we can't deduce the meaning of Scripture or what's missing from Scripture. And I'll give you an example. This is something that uh, Bruce has been teaching on for years now. If we were to take this premise, uh, understanding the Gospels are these unfortunately conflicting accounts of what is actually a true story, but they get it wrong here and there, well, then that means that our reasoning can only build on inconclusive evidence, which is, by definition, speculation. Whereas reasoning built on irrefutable evidence, like a flawless harmony of all four gospels woven into one story, well, then you can produce factual deductions. That's what we're aiming for. Because deductions, there's nothing magical about them. Deductions are just the logical results of whatever premise we present. That's how it works. It just bears it out. There's no wiggle room or favoritism or agenda within logic. It's mathematic, right? It only bears the fruit of its foundation. That's what happens. However you start, it's going to manifest the more you build on it, which is why logic is so helpful in debating and why it's so frustrating to debate with me, I bet. I'm sorry, wife. I, I mean, <laughs> I think I use logic anyway. But I use logic whenever I'm arguing with my kids, for sure, because I can beat them. But <laughs> the, uh, 
The logic that I use, I mean, I just try to say, well, let's follow things through to their logical conclusion. Let's see if that's a reasonable uh, request. And most recently, this happened when they said, we want a dog. And I said, I bet you do. That sounds wonderful. But let's just say that happens, and let's take it through to its logical conclusion. And a little logic later, a lot of talking, we landed on the logical conclusion was probably a dead dog. So we said, okay, that's, that's fair. But you know what? I was proud, even though they fought pretty good. And uh, what I was really proud of, though, in this debate was how little they tried to do what we all do when we, when we want to get a conclusion, right? When we want to lead logic to lead us to the conclusion that we want, we do this one little trick. We switch to a false premise. We change the premise so that we can get where we want to go. And they never once said, forget the dead guinea pigs, Dad. This time we're going to be responsible, I swear. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Even though if they had gotten that false premise established, well, then they might have logically led to a living dog. But they didn't go there. And that needs to be us. When we build our faith on a scriptural foundation, we need to be careful not to falsify what it says to produce the outcome that we want. And that's tricky because we, we don't even try sometimes. We're just so clever. But any modification in the foundation of what you're building on produces profound problems as you build Again, Leaning Tower of Pisa, am I right? I mean, you can just, at a certain point you go, I think we should have maybe nudged it the other way. And as those problems progress, well, they'll turn your deductions into a full-fledged fallacy. You'll realize what you've built is no good. You know, it's the way, the way things turned out for the Galatians that, uh, that just got Paul so peeved at them. And this is what he says, if you recall this, I love the scripture. You can just hear the tone of Paul speaking, I marvel that you are turning away so soon to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So lastly, just in case... Check for foreign influence. Take the truth test. And make sure that your heart hasn't been compromised in any way from any source. And you know how you do this? You just grab a Bible. Grab a Bible and examine your motives. It's so easy. And this is how it works. You just grab a Bible, start reading. Is there any suspicious conviction when you read things like, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool? And a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. The way of a fool, it's right in his own eyes. Mm -hmm. I know I do that sometimes. It's a little painful. Because you see, God's word cleanses, clarifies, or convicts its readers because it simply takes our premise to its logical conclusion to show us what we're willing to work for. To humans belong the plans, the thoughts of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So commit to the Lord whatever you do, 
and he will establish your plans, your thoughts. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, takes it to its logical conclusion, and that's it. That's it. All the evidence in this world and in his word was designed for you to find the reasons behind the one decision that determines everything eternally. What foundation are you building on? It is all about who our heart appoints as the ultimate authority, who we put on that throne. And if we want a real, reasonable relationship with God, we can only build on the premise, that foundation that he authorized himself, his word. I mean, the word was with God and the word was God. That's the best premise that you got. If you want to know about him, build with him. How about that? But the Bible is a poignant example of God's perfection and plan. And so it has been brilliantly designed to teach us about his character and our own simultaneously by just allowing us to choose how we handle it. Free will. That's where it comes in right there. You can treat it however you want and it will reveal what you think of him and, what, and who you really are. And therefore, those who want to reject God with it, can. Those who want to revise God, can. And those who want to receive God, can. And again, I tell you, I have personally used it for all three at different stages in my life. And I can also tell you that only one approach has truly felt reasonable and had a logical conclusion that was worth working for. Because I'll tell you what, if you read to receive, you'll discover Jesus himself came to show us what unbiased, clean hands can do with his word and an open mind if you're willing to just get to work. And it's us who have been tainting that premise ever since, trying to paint a better picture, something more pleasant that we like a little bit more. But I'll tell you what, I'm a little sick of people thinking that they decide the kind of God that they get because it's the real one or none, period. And we need to stop bending his book to fit our wants and start bending ourselves to fit his word. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And here's the good news, bad news. That means pushing yourself to the limit as you seek him and struggling. Yes, there will be difficulties in this world. Struggling to let go of your expectations and assumptions. Because I'll tell you what, you and I, we're not interested in easy, amen? Amen. amen. Like any detective worth their salt, we demand untainted, trustworthy, and total truth. Because like I said, if you want God to move a mountain, you better be prepared to wake up next to a shovel. Well, I'll tell you, if you really want a reasonable relationship with the Lord, you better be prepared to wake up next to his word and read it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, guys. Father God, we love you. And this day we are committed to building the case for our relationship on your word as our foundation. 
Holy Spirit, cleanse, convict, and clarify the thoughts of our minds as we dig deeper to know you better. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work you accomplished on the cross and opening our eyes to see your open arms. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.